from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. I want to show you a picture. This was taken about two and a half weeks ago. And you would think, oh, good night, Kevin. But this was at UCLA, and I was with nine doctors. Your pastor doesn't get one. He gets nine. And there's, these are neurologists. And basically, this is a 50-year journey that I've been on to trying to get the tremors to stop in my body. And so two and a half weeks ago, we met with a neurologist for about two hours, and they said, he qualifies, and I think they will be a good candidate for what's called deep stem brain surgery. And uh, we just want to meet you again. We want you to meet with the surgeon, and then sometime in the summer or the fall to have this particular surgery. And so I remember thinking, okay, great, this is like, I'm on the yellow brick road now. Do you know the story of the Wizard of Oz? That they're on the yellow brick wall looking for a brain. And I'm going to get a brain. <laughs> but not only a brain, but if you think about this, that next month I go to my uh, heart doctor because I'm, I may have open heart surgery. So I'm going to get a heart. And so today I pray that I will preach with courage. Because if you think about this, because a lot of us, we don't live with courage. We don't have the boldness that God has put on our hearts. See, I like Brene Brown's definition of courage. She says this, courage is the heart word. The root of the word courage is core. The Latin word for heart is one of its earliest forms. The word courage is meant to speak one's mind by telling all of one's heart. Isn't that the craziest definition of courage? And you will wonder why we as a church don't have the courage. Because we don't live through authenticity. We live through armor. And so God put me, you came on a good Sunday, because this is Vision Sunday for the church. And I want to talk about the future that I believe God has put on my heart, that I have to have the courage to really embrace what God has put on my heart. But let me go back in history. Do you guys, if you guys have been here at any length, 2016, Easter, was our biggest attendance. I want to show you some of our, our pictures. That, this is interesting because we decided we can't have Easter service here in the sanctuary. We're running three services, Saturday at 6, 9 o'clock, and at 10.45. So there's no way. Let's have it outdoors. So I remember going early in the morning practicing. Now, believe it or not, I practice. It may not look good, but I practice. 
And I remember I wasn't yelling like I usually do in here, but I was kind of, wow, kind of whispering. But I wanted things to go perfect. I wanted everything to go right. And so therefore we had 300, over 300 people on Easter Sunday, our highest attendance ever in the history of this church. I was so excited about all the people that were coming, but I was so nervous and stressed out because I was trying to be perfect. Now, I'm not a prima donna. I don't think I am. <laughs> but, my, but my staff does. And I remember one of my staff, right before I went to preach on that Sunday morning, can you show that last picture of me standing on the, by the mic? That's still on there. That Brooke, I think he told me, he goes, hey, dude, your lapel mic's not working. You have to use a handheld. So I said, which hand do you want me to hold it? This one with essential tremors or this one with dystonia? This one, I just slam my mouth. This one, I hit the side of my head. And so he goes, no. So you see how angry I am, how frustrated I am on Easter Sunday? because I can't do any of my animation. And so what I was told, that I got home, I got, got off the stage, I took the lapel mic and threw it down on the ground, and I broke it. Now, I don't know how you break a lapel mic that's not working, but they told me I broke it. <laughs> and I realized this, my grumpiness that day was not about the mic. It really wasn't. It was something deeper that within me that I was trying to pretend to be a pastor that God never called me to be. That I was trying to be the Joel Olstein. I was trying to be the T.J. Jakes. I was trying to be something that I thought would get the crowds. And I wasn't real with who God called me and the vision that was on my heart. One vision I, I brought to the idea this weekend, I thought, my goodness, that Sunday in 2016, we had incredible service, incredible baptisms. But the thing is, I didn't listen to what God was putting on my heart. See, sometimes God's on the move. And God would have really challenged me as a pastor in 2016. I need you to move forward here. I need you to be the church that God's called me to be. But I was comfortable. And I remember back in May... I was talking to the prayer team and some of the staff, I go, I don't feel God's presence anymore. I feel the Holy Spirit just moved for some reason. And it was scary because I was manifesting my own sermons. I was manifesting the excitement in the church and it wasn't working. Look on the screen. See, the Holy Spirit was calling us as a church to move and to change. But this change requires courage, doesn't it? That reminds me of the gospel reading today, and, and, and it's on the transfiguration. And I love this story because it's, to me it's a crazy story. It's recorded in the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we follow the Revived Common Lectionary. So this passage is the Sunday that we read every Sunday before Lent, before Ash Wednesday. And basically it's a strange story if you think about it, because Jesus was actually glowing. I don't know if I was one of the tight disciples. I go, what in the world is going on now? And so then we, we see that Moses and Elijah were there. And so Peter, which was in, 
kind of just did not know what to say. He's recorded this. It's on the screen. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now, just like me, it was good to be at Easter 2016. I wanted to be there. It was everything that I thought was good, everything that we thought as pastors that we wanted. And so the thing is, I thought it is good for us to be here. We all like the glorious moments in life, don't we? We all like those mountaintop experiences where we're going, I'm just going to stay here. I like this. And we don't want to move. But you know what I've noticed? God's spirit is always on the move. You can't say, sit here, God. Just talk to me for a while. Just be here for a while. Just bless me while I sit here. In fact, if you look on the screen, one of the main ways the Spirit moves us towards God's will is by giving us a unique vision for who we are created to be. And when we begin to listen to other voices and visions for our lives, we lose touch with who we, are, who we truly are. The Gospel of Peter was interesting today. Is Peter is not allowed to camp out. He's not allowed to stay on the glorious mountain. In fact, if you watch, verse 5, while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, this is my son, my beloved, with him, my beloved, with him, I am well pleased. And it says, listen to him. If you remember a few weeks ago, I was, we were talking about the baptism of Jesus and uh, really in the beginning of January. And basically it said the same thing. This is my son, whom I'm well pleased. And basically you have to understand that Jesus, through his baptism, the affirmation on who he was in God and who he was and what his purpose of life was, that we know that he went out the desert to be tempted by the devil. And what he was being tempted by is to live somebody else's identity, to live somebody else's vision. And so you look at this, this is why we buy ourselves into it, because sometimes we buy into visions that people have for us rather than what God has put on our hearts. He rejected the other voices and listened to the Father. And this is where it's important, because this time Jesus says a little bit more to his disciples. They say, listen to him. This is powerful if you think about this. So why did Peter, James, and John hear a voice telling him to listen to Jesus? Follow me. The voice of truth which told Jesus that his identity was that of a well-loved child of God is the same voice of truth which tells us the very same thing. Unlike Christ, however, we are sin damaged and easily tune into other voices which tells us that we must earn God's love by what we have or what we do or by what others think of us. So we go off not knowing we are already well loved, in search of love in all the wrong places. And as soon as we think we are found a spot which validates who we think we need to be, we think it's good to be there. So we try to camp out. All of us want to be validated. All of us want to be loved. Let me tell you, Easter 2016 was a moment that I wanted to camp out. Let's pitch a tent here right on the stage. and It looks real good. 
Everything was falling in place with the exception of the stupid mic. But the worship team was on, like it was today. Well, like it is every Sunday. And you know what's amazing about this is that I was saying this is a good place to be, but I wasn't embracing what God called me to be. It was fascinating here. The sermon went well, despite that I didn't help hold the mic. But thankful, this, thankful, the Spirit did not allow me to camp out there. See, I look back now and I realize that if the Spirit of the Lord said camp out, that I would become someone that I wasn't called to be. That I would fit in a mold of expectations of what an evangelical pastor looks like. And so, therefore, I would be constrained to that bubble or that box. And what's interesting, that Jesus said to me, and the same as Peter, there's no camping here. In fact, watch this, Matthew 17 to 6 or 7. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, get up and do not be afraid. That's crazy. Get up and do not be afraid. You know, a lot of times when we sit there, when we sit down and we just go, you know what, I want to camp out here because what God has put on our hearts is scary stuff. So fear, what it does, it paralyzes, doesn't it? We can justify anything. Look. I'm doing fine. We're doing fine. And so let's just camp out here. Let's do this. But get up and do not be afraid. This is important because understand this, that when Jesus was going down, it said this on the screen. At this point, when Jesus comes down the mountaintop, he heads to Jerusalem to be crucified. If anyone has anything to be fearful, it's Jesus. Because he knew when he was going down to the mountain that he was going to, face a major crucifixion. But he tells the disciples, get up. Let's go down the mountain. Do not be afraid. And then he tells them something interesting. He goes, tell, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Jesus focuses on resurrections for us. We all need to be resurrected. But here's the problem. None of us like death in order for us to be resurrected. There's things in our lives that need to die. There's things in our lives that are broken that we need to surrender in order to have the resurrection. But we just go, I want to be validated by them. Get up and walk. Do not be afraid. But they won't like me. (laughs) See, when the three disciples are told to listen to him. They are being told to listen to what Jesus had to say about the way the resurrection. Resurrection for us is about being restored back to who we are created to be before we got off track and became someone we are not. It is about a new life available to us when we are willing to listen to Jesus and by following him to the cross, we put our false self to death. In fact, right before we read the story of transfiguration, what did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, if anyone wants to follow me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So what does this have to do with the vision here at this funky church? 
Now, as a pastor, I got stuck. Therefore, as a church, we got stuck because I was trying to camp out on somebody else's vision for me. You ever done that? Where somebody says, this is where I think you would be good, and then you go, okay, I'm getting validated. I'll do it. So therefore, I was afraid, and fear caused me not to move. Now, it's interesting, if you come to this church any length, you'll remember that I used to say this all the time from 2014. I used to say this, I'm not called to pastor a mega church, but I'm called to pastor people that would do mega things for the kingdom of God. Remember that? Said it every Sunday. You know why I stopped? Because I needed validated. Because what was interesting is somebody, people told me, Kevin, you're selling yourself short. You don't know that. Why, why are you limiting God's power? And they focus at the beginning of that rather than the end of it, of doing mega things for the kingdom of God. And so they thought I was limiting God's power. And I always think if it's good enough for John the Baptist, it's good enough for me. Because he made Jesus more bigger than him. And so this is where I, I, I kind of embraced of what the vision that God has called me, but yet I want to be validated. You know, pastors, we want to be Rick Warren. You know, it just goes out there, oh, there's 40,000 people here? Ah, oh, I was expecting 300. I, re I, I was at Rick Warren's church when we were just engaged, and he goes, look, I'm going to limit it. I'm, we're going to have a small little, like, Retreat, so I'm going to limit it to 800 people. And I was going, Are you serious? So the next morning, when I had 30 people here, I go, We're having a retreat at Oak Glen. I'm going to limit it to 800 people. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, of course, TD Jakes, I would love to be him, but you know what the problem is? If I try to be something else, or you try to be someone else, Who's going to be you? Hey. Hey. Who's going to be you? And so when we look at this, that, that I, 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 it's funny. Okay, I'm stretching it here. I was singing the Diana Ross song, I'm coming out, when I'm putting the sermon together. And I was going, what are you singing? I go, uh, no. Just don't. <laughs> <laughs> You're so funny. But the thing is, what's interesting is, who am I? And let me tell you, I wrote it down. God called me to be an example and how God can use his ordinary, unlike, unlikely for God's glory. He called me to be a testimony and how in God's kingdom the weak are strong, the powerless, unmistakable manifest in the power of God, and how the foolish are used to shame the wise. Jesus called 12 ordinary screw-ups. And at those 12, he especially invested in three knuckleheads, Peter included, and God used them to change the world. For me to be me, I have to live like I believe God uses screw-ups and knuckleheads to change the world. Right? Now, I'm not knocking the mega churches because I know Glenn's going to be offering me a church of 5,000 people. Just kidding. That's just the ego speaking. <laughs> but the thing is, I have nothing. You know, if you're called to do mega churches, great. There's a great place for mega churches. But even at being a pastor of a large church, you're called to be you.
not to fit into a mold. On the screen, in the past three years, I've gone through a process, which I call recalibration. It's being restored to my true self so that I can be true to my original call to pastor people. So they will be restored in order to restore others. It isn't about butts in the seats here on Sunday morning as much as it's about being the hands and feet of Christ in our world between Sundays. And God is restoring many of you to restore to this world. We have what's called grace track. We have the emotional healthy relationship. We have the, all these other classes that a bunch of you are continuing to take and seeing the change in your lives through Grace Track. It's fantastic. And all the, the you know, if you go in and if you take one of your classes, be sure it's authentic as it can get. I mean, I'm telling you, going, ooh, that language. And that's for me. No, <laughs> you know, and the thing is, the honesty and the openness and, and just the anger and the frustration that people are going through, but yet embracing the healing of no judgment, only love. We're called to speak the truth in love, not through judgment. And so this is where the movement of the Holy Spirit moves in these groups. And so our mission here is to return the broken to wholeness in an expanding community of grace and compassion. In the last three years, I've seen you guys. I've seen you struggle with the no judgment, only love. I've seen all of a sudden when I got this phone call, remember that? From the lady that jumped on judgment for the spelling of judgment on that sign. There's two ways of spelling it, you know that, right? Apparently we didn't spell it the right way. So if you look on the t-shirt and you go, hey, that judgment, it's spelled wrong. What are you judging me for? And so, I can see the heart of Jesus. This is our vision. As God has been leading us forward to take up a cross, which is let go of our own agendas and embrace the vision that God has given us as a body of Christ. God put on my heart when I first came here, but I tried to camp out. The ego is a powerful thing, isn't it? The ego, man, it's hard to struggle with that. And now that's where you need courage to be authentic. At the center of our vision is courage to live true to all that God has put on our hearts. And the statement sums up our vision is we are known as a hub of Christ-centered restoration on the west side <laughs> of Los Angeles. <laughs> well, I practice that too. That's one of the six this morning. I was going, West Side, West Side, however I go, West Side. <laughs> well, what's up? We, we do it all. Stop it. Okay. Let me finish this. We're getting so close to not only seeing restoration finish in our lives but see restoration beginning with this property. And I'm excited about this. But here's the thing about vision. The people, are, the people and not the property are the vision. The vision of restoration begins with you and me. If that is not the case, we will end up serving our property rather than our property serving our restoration. And those are the ones that are called to restore. Now, the worship team comes forward.
That's a subtle hint, isn't it? <laughs> As the worship team comes forward, I want to encourage you, what voices are you listening to? Do you need validation? Because I promise you, God has put something on your heart that you don't have the courage to do. That you're just sitting and let's camp out in my discomfort. Let's camp out as my victimization. Let's camp out. I am, you are, a beloved child. You are God's beloved child in this world's eyes. We may all just be screw-ups. Look, if you go to this church, you're a screw-up. You know that because I'm a screw-up. With the exception of Leo. <laughs> but I, I want to read you this. And, and here, I want to try something different as we go into worship. I want to read a poem. And I, and I read this poem and I go, that's my vision. That's my calling. And I read it again and I read it again. So as I read it, I didn't put it on the screen. But if you connect to it, if you can relate to this poem, I want you to stand. If you know somebody that I'm reading about, I want you to stand for them. Do you mind? And I'll just, thank you. It's basically walking in their shoes. Can you imagine battling cancer where you are fighting for your life? Can you imagine being at war and wanting to be with your wife? Can you imagine being a parent whose child has special needs? Can you imagine feeling so much anxiety, it's hard to breathe? Could you walk in their shoes? Would you walk in their shoes? Could you imagine being an orphan, bouncing from home to home? Can you imagine coming to a new country and have nothing but a comb? Can you imagine living in a place where you are the first to graduate college? Can you imagine feeling invisible where you want to be acknowledged? Could you walk in their shoes? Would you walk in their shoes? Can you imagine being a single parent of three? Can you imagine having a learning disability where you can't read? Can you imagine being laid off and feeling no value in me? Can you imagine losing a parent and having uncertainty? Could you walk in their shoes? Would you walk in their shoes? Can you imagine being turned away for the color of your skin? Could you imagine feeling you were born into the wrong body rather than feeling like a king? Can you imagine being teased about your religion so you don't pray? Can you imagine being rejected being gay, could you walk in their shoes? Would you walk in their shoes? Let us have empathy, not sympathy. Let us celebrate our differences. Let us experience us, experience. Let us be inclusive, not dismissive. Let us be diverse. Let's walk in their shoes. Now look around you. You are the people of MCF. We all need you. All of you, you are the vision of MCF. All too often, thank
tried to squeeze people in a mold in order for them to belong. This is not a healthy living body. This is a grotesque picture of conformity. The glory of God is seen in the world when the unity in diversity. And though we are many, we are one body in Christ. May we be a body of Christ in this world who welcomes everyone with open arms, with no judgment, only love. May we die to all the faults to be restored to be the unique reflection of God's image. The dark world is in need of people who shine like Christ. The world is waiting for us to show up. By God's power, we will show up and be restored body of Christ, shining bright right here on the west side of Los Angeles. Amen.
Let your love shine through us. Let your love shine through us that we are accepting of one another with no judgment, God. That we are healing and restoring one another, God. And while we're being restored, we're reaching back, God, and restoring someone else, God. In Jesus' name, that our neighborhoods will be free, that our people will be free, that our nation will be free, God. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, that our families will be free. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, heal us, God. Heal us, God. Take us to a deeper reality in you where that love overshadows and covers a multitude of sin so that I see you in every person I encounter. That I see the image of God in every person I encounter so that it will not be an it that I see, but it will be a thou that I see. In Jesus' name, we pray. Hallelujah. Oh, we sing. Heal the land, meet the need, set the captives free. Oh, yeah. Heal the land, meet the need, set the captives free. Oh, God. Heal the land, meet the need, set the captives free. Oh, heal the land, meet the need, set the captives free. Just voices. Set the captives free, oh God. Heal the land, meet the need. Set the captives free. One more time we sing. Heal the land, meet the need. Set the captives free.